0: God, we have declared in our song that you are the God of the impossible, that you are the risen Lord, that you are the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, the light of the world. We declare that because we believe it. And we believe that you should receive all the honor and all the glory today, we give it to you. And because of who you are, then today we can cast our burden before you. And So we bring our anxiety, we bring our worry, we bring our needs, we bring our joy, we bring our sadness, we bring our victory and our defeat. We bring it before you because we understand that regardless of our circumstances and regardless of what's going on in our world today, you remain the same. There's nothing out of your reach and you love us. So in the name of Jesus, we we surrender everything before you. We let go and we rest in you right now. We receive the forgiveness that comes from our confession, for we confess that we are sinners and that we need the blood of Jesus to cover us. And God, as a people today, we cry out for restoration. We need you to restore your church, to restore your people. Renew us, O Lord. Remove the weariness, remove the illness, remove mental anguish and struggles, emotional struggles remove the lies of the enemy Father replace it with your Holy Spirit right now in this place allow your Holy Spirit to rule our hearts and rule our people, our church not just here but all over that's our prayer in thanksgiving now speak to us through your word help us to respond in obedience. It's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may take your seat. And I'm going to invite our first through sixth grade children who want to uh, join our children's worship to come over here with Pastor Susan. And you'll enjoy children's worship together. Uh, So uh, we're so thankful for our children. A couple of weeks ago, I uh, was gathering with other pastors uh, from around the state and I sat at a table and I had uh, lunch with uh, some pastors from East Texas. And they were talking about a man that was member of one of our Baptist churches in East Texas uh, that goes by Bo Pilgrim. You might know Bo Pilgrim because he makes kind of funny commercials of Pilgrim's fried chicken with a Pilgrim hat. Uh, but. What I know about Bo Pilgrim is really through my son Joshua. When Joshua was a student at Dallas Baptist University, uh, Bo Pilgrim would frequently uh, speak in chapel. And students really loved when Bo Pilgrim spoke in chapel because under their seat, there would be a 12-page gospel track that had a $20 bill inside of it. And uh, Bo Bo said that was his evangelism strategy. He handed out these gospel tracts with $20 bills and he said, that's the way I tell people that I'm serious about what I'm saying. For college students, that was a big deal. $20 for a college student buys a couple of Chick-fil-A sandwiches, (laughs) you know? And so, uh, uh, but when Wall Street Journal uh, wrote about Bo Pilgrim and the fact that his net worth was, you know, he, he was a billionaire. Uh, they quoted Bo Pilgrim as saying, neither my business nor my money belongs to me, it belongs to God. And that's a strange statement perhaps for the Wall Street Journal, but it's not a strange statement to Christians. When we think about the generosity of Christians, we know that the Bible teaches us to be people with open hands. And so today as we continue our series, We Are Open, we're not just talking about being open in our facilities. We're talking about, like Pastor David Chan said, about being open people. People with open hearts that have received the grace of Jesus Christ for our salvation. People with open arms that love others the way that God has loved us. People with open gifts, as Pastor Paulo talked last Sunday, spiritual gifts that that we use in the service of God. And I hope that, If you haven't discovered your spiritual gift that that you're praying and maybe working out that. But today I want to talk to us about open hands. How God calls us to generosity. And I'd like to invite you to go with me to our text which is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 6 through 11. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. And it reads like this. Remember this. their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This passage is obviously about giving and I would call it grace giving. It offers Christ followers the why of giving, the how of giving, and the who of giving. We see here the principle of giving, the practice of giving, and then the promise of giving. And I want to talk to you about those today. First, let's talk about the principle of giving. Paul offers this to his readers. He answers the why question. Why should we be generous? He's writing to the Corinthians, to remind them of an offering that he had invited them to to give for the Jerusalem people. He writes about that in the first letter to the Corinthians, and in the second letter, he's reminded them, because the Corinthians made a commitment to give. And Paul's saying, remember that pledge? Remember that commitment? Well, it's time to make good on it. It's time for me to come and collect that. And as you get ready for that, let me remind you of an important principle and it's a principle that comes from agriculture. Some of you would like to think that maybe Paul was an Aggie. Uh, but, but he says, you know, the farmer, when he sows sparingly, he reaps sparingly. But when he sows generously, he reaps generously. In other words, how much you harvest depends on how much you plant. It's really a contrast between scarcity thinking and abundant thinking if you If you think small, you will plant small and you will harvest small. If you think big, you will plant big and you will harvest big it's It's the principle that is being shared here i I saw that one of the farmers in our church this week uh, posted a video about his watermelon harvest and and uh, there were trucks and and uh, tractors and and as far as you can see in this video, there were watermelons all over the place and, and I thought, what a great thing. They're, they're calling for more trucks to, to carry these watermelons. And I thought, what, what if that uh, farmer friend of ours would have said at the beginning, well, I have seed to sow watermelon, but I'm scared. It's risky. The weather in Texas is not predictable. Sometimes you get freezes. Sometimes it rains, and then it rains, and then it rains, and then it rains. Sometimes there's a lot of wind. Maybe I shouldn't plant so much. Maybe I should just keep some of my seed and plant a little bit. Then he would have had a small harvest. Or he could think and he said, look, the more I plant, the more I might get. It's risky, yes, but I'm going to plant generously so that I can harvest generously. And that's what he received. And the Bible tells us here that God's economy is very much like farming. That God is a God of abundance and grace. God in his grace has given generously. For God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son. When God decided to give, he didn't give sparingly. He didn't send you a picture of Jesus. He didn't send you a description of Jesus. He sent his son to live among you and me. And when Jesus came, he didn't come to give us a good example. He didn't come to give us good advice. He came to give his life for us. Because we needed a savior. He came and he poured out his blood on Calvary so that we could have forgiveness and eternal life. If you don't hear anything else today, hear this. God loves you. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And when you trust him, you will discover life and life abundant. You will discover life eternal. God's grace covers all our sins God's grace sustains us on a daily basis. God's grace secures our future and our eternity. God has not spared anything in giving to us. His grace is abundant, extravagant. It's generous. Notice the purpose of his generosity in verse 8. I'll read it again. It says, And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, At all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. So here's the thing. God has been a generous farmer. He's planted generosity. He's given of himself, and he expects an abundant harvest. He's given us his grace, and he expects us to give back out of that grace. So here's the principle of giving according to God's word today. Generosity flows from grace. Grace. That's the why of giving. That's the why of generous giving is God's abundant grace. Some of you may have at one time or another gotten uh, tortilla chips that are called on the border, maybe at H-E-B, and uh, and you know those are good chips with good salsa, uh, there's nothing like it. But when I think of these chips, I I think of something else because uh, the the ones who, initially manufactured these chips, Leo and Sulema Jimenez, were members of the church I used to pastor in Fort Worth many years ago. And, uh, and they started with a small business that was family run and began to grow. And when they got this contract to manufacture the tortilla chips and the salsa for on the border, then we were the recipients of free cases of chips and salsa at our house. Uh, and it was so great the Jimenez were just a generous people they they gave to the church and and, and they were always finding ways to be generous and and we had a good friendship and and when I got close to uh, thinking about my doctorate and I was praying about it and thinking about applying to to the university I didn't know quite how I would pay for it and I remember one day that, that Leo and Sulema Jimenez invited me over for lunch like they would do often and And I went with them, and and as we were eating, they said, we know that you want to do your doctorate. And I said, that's right. And he said, well, we want you to know that God has put in our heart to pay for all of it. And I just couldn't believe it, because it was an expensive program. And, and, And for the next several years, I could focus on pastoring a church and studying hard for my doctorate without ever worrying about paying a tuition bill because of their generosity. And every time that we would see each other and they would, Leo would give me that check to cover tuition, there was a huge smile from ear to ear on his face. There was a satisfaction that he was investing in something that was bigger than him. And, and I watched the joy of his giving, and then I watched how God continued to grow their business to a multi-million-dollar business that was sought by national bakeries to, to be acquired. Out of God's grace, they gave generously and they continued to experience God's generous grace. The principle of giving is that generosity flows from grace. The second thing that we see in our passage today is the practice of giving. If the reason that we give is God's grace, then how do we give? How much do we give? How often do we give? Uh, do we still have to do the tithe thing? Well, the Old Testament uh, is very clear about God's people being expected to give a tithe. Leviticus 27, 30 says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So, so Israel was expected, that the word tithe literally means 10%. So Israel was expected that 10% of their harvest, 10% of everything they had was to be given to the Lord, that it was holy to the Lord. In fact, when Israel got away from that and they they got away from God and they were experiencing uh, just a a lack of blessing, God tells them, if you want to be restored, if you want to be, if you want to experience spiritual renewal, if you want revival, he sends a prophet called Malachi. He says, one of the things you got to do is you got to get back to tithing what you have robbed me. Those are strong words. Malachi 3.9, he says, the Malachi tells Israel, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. As far as I know, that's the only time in the Bible where God says, test me. Now, while the Old Testament teaching on tithing is very clear, some have asked, well, how does that apply to the New Testament giving? I mean, we don't live under the law anymore, we live under grace, so, so wh- how does that look? Well, on one occasion, Jesus addressed this with, with those that were being legalistic about it, the Pharisees, and look what he says in Matthew 23, 23. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You know, the Pharisees have become so legalistic, they've become so focused on the letter of the law, and they obeyed the law so that, they could, so that other people could see how righteous they were. And so they went out of their way to make sure they kept every aspect of the law. So they would go into their pantry, and they would figure out how much dill they had, and they would get 10%. And they would go to their mint and they would figure out 10% of their mint so that when they go to the temple with with their spices, people say, wow, those people are righteous. They're holy. And Jesus says to them, you hypocrites, you've missed the heart of God. You've been so focused on the letter of the law that you've neglected the more important things like mercy and justice and faithfulness. And then he says to them, You should really focus on those things mercy and justice and faithfulness without neglecting the former. That's interesting. Jesus could have let him off the hook. Jesus could have said, You know what? Keep your cumin. I don't want it. Keep your dill. Pickle. I don't want it. But he says, Look, you should pay attention to these things that are in God's heart without neglecting the former. As Paul writes to the Corinthians, he does not mention the tithe here. Instead, he appeals to voluntary giving. He asks them to give according to what their heart has decided. Look at verse seven again. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's the practice of grace giving. It flows from the heart. God wants us to give as an expression of joy. Not a begrudging obligation, not a membership fee of some sort, but grace giving that comes from the heart. Now, Paul says this here, but he'd given other instructions to the Corinthians about this offering in his first letter. In fact, if you were to go uh, just previous, uh, to the previous letter, to 1 Corinthians 16, you'll see the instructions he had initially given that seemed to be normative for other churches. Uh, Chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians uh, verse 1 says, Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Now there are three things that stand out from that passage and I'm going to mention them really quick. One is is that, that of periodic giving. He says, the first day of every week, that's Sunday, by the way. It it talks about a regularity of giving. Secondly, he talks about proportionate giving. He says, set aside according to how you have been blessed, according to your income. That's proportionate giving. And then, thirdly, there's plan giving here. He says, save it up. It's not going to be an emotional appeal. It's not going to be impulsive giving. It's not going to be something you you leave for the last moment. You planned to set it aside. Now, when you put these passages together, what Jesus said, what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 16 and what he says in 2 Corinthians 9, you look at the tithe through Jesus' lens and through Paul's lens, and you see that the idea is proportionate giving, percentage giving. And the genius of that is that anybody can do it. The, the, the boy who gets a dollar allowance can do it. The person who makes minimum wage can do it. The person who makes millions of dollars can do it in proportion to how you've been blessed, proportionate giving. Tithing from a grace perspective teaching, uh, teaches us proportionate giving. And it provides a baseline from which to grow. You see, legalistic thinking talks about what is the minimum that I have to do to be okay with God? That's legalistic thinking. But grace thinking is, how much more can I do out of God's grace for me? Legalistic thinking says, well, do I tithe from my net or for my gross? How about my side jobs? How about my income tax? How about my stimulus check? Do I have to tithe from that? That's legalistic thinking. Grace thinking says, where can I find an excuse to give back to God because it's been good to me? How can they give above and beyond so that I'm not counted with the righteousness of the Pharisees and the legalists, but I'm a grace person. The practice of the gift is this. The pleasure flows from proportion. Cheerful giving comes from giving according to the way that we have been blessed. When Monica and I first got married, uh, we were very, very young. We were still in college. I don't recommend that, Uh, but that's when we got married. And I was pastor of Cal Island Baptist Church in Corpus Christi. And I got paid every single week, I got paid $75. All of it. $75. And then I supplemented my income by working at H-E-B Stock and Groceries. And we, uh, we lived in a very small apartment in Kingsville, Texas, that the address had half on it. It was 512 and a half. Because there's a Little B apartment cut in half. There was someone else living next door. It's one bedroom. I would step out of my bed in the morning and my foot was in the living room. That's how small it was. We ate a lot of tuna fish and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. But one thing that we decided to do when we first got married, we said, we're going to give, the first thing in our budget is going to give at least 10%, if not more, to God's work. And we said, because we don't think that if we can't be faithful in the little, how can God trust us in the much? And we started when we were married, when we first got married. And a lot has changed in 35 years. We've grown a family. Our house is a little bit bigger than that. And we've we've been through some wonderful places. But one thing that has not changed in 35 years It's God's faithful provision for us. When our check was small, we had enough. And when our check got big, we still have enough. God has been a faithful provider. We've been given according to how God has blessed us, and we've discovered that you can never outgive God, which leads to the last point, the promise of the giver. Paul tells the Corinthians, the why of giving, it's God's grace. He tells them the how of giving is proportionately and cheerfully. And now he tells them the who of giving. He says the confidence that you can have to the Corinthians as you practice generosity is that God is able to provide for you. I'll read verses 10 and 11 again. It says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I believe that one of the reasons that sometimes we get anxious about finances, one of the reasons that sometimes we get tense when it comes to possessions, is that sometimes we think that the outcome is all up to us. Sometimes we think we're in charge. Sometimes we think that we are the owners. And the Bible tells us here today no, God is the owner. He's the one that supplies seed to the sower, He's the one that supplies bread for food. He's the one that sends the rain and gives wisdom to the farmer and gives strength to the one that does the harvest. We are administrators of what God owns, but He's the owner. We're responsible to be good managers of what he's been entrusted to us. But we're, listen, we're not ultimately responsible for our provision. That's liberating. You know who's in charge of our provision? God. It's up to him to take care of us. It's up to, it's his job to provide for us. And we can rest in that. That's, that's, what, we, that's what we sang this morning some people think that they can be in charge, they can cheat the system, they can cheat on their taxes and they can cheat uh, on, on their employer or they can cheat on their employees and, and they can hoard and they can just figure out a way how to get ahead in, in this cruel world. But let me tell you something, you can't cheat God. He's in charge. He's still in charge. And you can just relax and trust him. Yeah, be a good steward. Yeah, work hard. Yeah, be diligent with the gift that God has given you. But, but rest in the fact that he is your provider. He's the owner of everything. He can make a million dollars run out overnight and he can make $100 last all month long. That's who God is. That's why some people make a lot of money and they never have enough. And some people make a little money and they have enough and they even share of what they have. Because that's what God is able to do. The Bible reminds us today that when we practice grace giving, God will provide for us abundantly. Not only what we need, but enough for us to share. Here's the promise of the giver. The provision flows from the provider. Now God's blessings include material blessings. God is good to give us food and shelter and home and sometimes uh, luxuries and recreation beautiful things But God's blessings are also spiritual Uh, sometimes his blessings are are just the experience of who he is and the joy of of being part of a church and the joy of serving and, and the joy of giving to others and seeing how God blesses others through us have I told you that I have a grandson did I mention that Can I show you a video? It's a short video, but here baby Daniel is having a snack and he's sharing it with his mom. I want you to see this real real brief. It's a good looking boy, right? <laughs> did you notice the joy in his face when he gave back to his mom? What his mom had given him? Did you sense that he was worried at any moment that if he gave back to his mom that he wouldn't have enough? He didn't worry about that. Where did he learn to share? He learned it from mom. Mom always feeds him. And so naturally, he can give food back to her because he knows that she's going to make sure he's okay. That's how children think. That's what children of God ought to think. That we know that our Heavenly Father has been good to us and that we can find joy in giving back to him and smile and say, God, thank you because I know that you will provide For me, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Paul calls the Corinthians to generosity. Why? Because of God's grace. How? Proportionately and cheerfully. Because of who? Because of God as the owner and the faithful provider for his children. Today you and I are called to have open hands. Bible tells us the principle of giving is that generosity flows from grace. The practice of giving is that pleasure flows from proportion to giving. And the promise of the giver is that the provision flows from the provider. And I wanna invite you today to have open hands and give according to what you have received. Experience the grace of giving, not as an obligation, Not as a legalistic law, but as a privilege that we have. And so if you're already giving regularly, I just wanna encourage you, make sure that you do so cheerfully too. Make sure that that it's out of grace that you're doing it, not out of some routine or going through the motions. And if you're not giving regularly, then I wanna invite you to start doing so. To make a commitment today to say, I'm gonna try that. I'm going to test God. I'm going to experience grace giving. Let's stand together. Father, I want to thank you today for for your generosity toward us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the spirit. Thank you for the church. And thank you for this passage where Paul gives an opportunity to the Corinthians to experience grace giving. I pray that each of us here would discover the joy of giving. Help us to know exactly what it means that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Help us to give back to you of the much that you've given to us. And that there will always be abundance. Abundance for us, abundance for your people, abundance for your work. Father, if there's someone here today that has never experienced the grace of Jesus Christ, that never trusted you as Lord and Savior, I pray that right now, your Holy Spirit would lead them to trust you. That they would pray the prayer that says, Jesus, be my Savior and Lord. You died on the cross for me, you rose from the dead, and I want to give you my life. I trust that your Holy Spirit is working in every heart right now to help us to respond to your word. I pray that in Jesus name. As we sing this morning, I I wanna invite you to meditate on how God has spoken to you and how you will respond. And I wanna ask you to prepare your heart for the Lord's Supper that we'll celebrate in just a few moments. Let's sing.